Have you ever wanted to be the first to know if aliens really exist? Well, with Nebula, you can be! Nebula is the streaming service that's home to its Probably Not Aliens, as well as our YouTube channels. And the best part? All of our content goes up early on Nebula. So when we break first contact with E.T., you'll be the first to find out. That's right, you'll be able to listen to the next episode of this show before anyone else. Plus, we post bonus content that you won't find any other place. And the best part? By signing up for Nebula at nebula.tv slash probablynotaliens, you're directly supporting the show and both of us. So don't wait any longer. Join Nebula today and be the first to know if this time it really is aliens. so long since we've recorded Tristan I know we both had life happen we both had life happen and then also the first thing on your notes says praise the sun and I don't know where you are living right now but (laughs) it took so long for us to get set up that the sun has come and gone yep yep. for this recording I was trying to make a Dark Souls (laughs) reference but yeah uh, praise the sun the the sun is going to play a big role in today's video video podcast audio (laughs) video Tristan, we're so bad at this yeah. now. What happened? 17 episodes in, I still can't do basic things. Can't remember what <laughs> media format we're on. Tristan, we're so bad at this. I, I've been editing the first handful of, of episodes, and I, for some reason, I brought real low energy to this podcast at the start. So I'm trying to change that. I'm trying to be more energetic and fun. We'll see which version of Scott that people like more. Just be like, Scott, we're going to talk about this today. And you'll be like, <laughs> all right, let's do it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> You did like a visual joke for for the podcast too. Oh no. I am I'm oh, good. No. I'm good at this uh, medium, uh which is funny cuz I actually like my first foray into media was um like radio. So you know I'm good at this. Oh. <laughs> Um, <laughs> it's, a, it's a return to form for you. Well, what are we talking about today? Praise the sun for what reason, Tristan? So today we are going into a really fun topic. Uh, this is the beginning of a little bit of a pseudo series where we're going to talk about, we're basically graduating to episode two of Ancient <laughs> Aliens, <laughs> um, where we're talking about the theories revolving around aliens visiting us and like yes. references to this in alien in you know our cultures. And uh, specifically what comes up a lot is human alien hybrids. Yes. Uh, so we get to talk about aliens getting busy. That's right. That's right. What happens when you cross aliens and humans? What happens then? Did they live among us at some point? I don't know. Why are you asking me? I'm not the smart one. Tristan is. Speaking of which, uh, my name is Tristan uh, Johnson, and I am the person who sits and reads all the books and then has a thing to talk about uh, every week. And Scott Nice Wonder here is the- That's me. Nerd sync guy who makes this all nice and pretty to listen to. This and is our best intro ever. Yeah, I think. Yes, <laughs> usually I'm you Scott do Nicewander. it. <laughs> I know. Yeah, I'm Scott Nicewander. I know nothing. I my extent of research is to watch an episode or two of Ancient Aliens. I believe this also this topic has popped up in season twelve as well. Because as we've discussed before, 
on this show. Uh, Ancient Aliens really just did a lot of the big hitters right out of the gate. And then, you know, they've been going for over a dozen seasons now and they really got to circle back to a lot of topics. Yeah. So this has popped up a couple of times and that's the extent of the research that I've done. So it's up to Tristan now to convince me that everything I've seen is actually false. Yeah. So they're up to season 16. So the show has thoroughly run out of ideas and they are returning to old things. Hey, Grey's Anatomy is season 17. So guess who's winning that one? Well, I may have made that joke before. We're already see now we're cycling through the stuff that we've already talked about. Shonda Rhimes has infinite imagination. So that's a different thing. That's true. So today we're going back to Egypt, uh, a favorite of the ancient astronaut theorists. But this is a really fun one because this is something that I knew a lot about because my mom's a really big person into Egypt. So like my like my mom went to Egypt for her 40th birthday and like mm-hmm. I spent a lot of my childhood learning about Egyptian mythology and all that kind of stuff. So I know about this um, pretty big figure in Egyptian history and this very big moment in the religious history of Egypt. Mm. So it's like a really big deal, even in like, you know, normal archaeological terms. But then I did not know that the ancient aliens people were making the claim that the pharaoh Akhenaten, who has some very strange looking art made about him, yes. uh, might be an alien hybrid because uh, what's strange is that the statues of him show a vast departure from the typical Egyptian art style and his character, his, his figure looks yeah. uh, strangely proportioned, androgynous, and just nothing like the art that you see in other kings. And also very notably, because they did not get into this in detail for interesting reasons, after Akhenaten's death, a lot of the references to him were all scrubbed and erased from the from history because he tried to change all of the the polytheistic Egyptians to a single monotheistic faith. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think we've talked about this before. We did briefly, yes. Yes. This is so and just to sort of give you a, a really quick outline of some of the art that that Tristan has talked about. You can just Google Akhenaten uh, I said that so wrong. Akhenaten. <laughs> Akhenaten. Akhenaten. You can Google that uh, that person's name, and the the most striking thing that you will see is a very uh, bulbous sort of alien esque skull sort of thing, like big alien round head, kind of elongated. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sort of like uh, angular, uh, like stern looking face and sort of a pot belly. And yeah, a lot yeah. of like androgyny and things like that, like uh, not depict in the typical way of like, you know, big, broad shouldered, muscly men like no, uh, no, other no. pharaohs have been. Mm-mm. So this is a pretty big deal. The art is a very legitimate, huge change and it doesn't get followed up afterwards. And a lot of it doesn't survive because the Egyptians tried very hard to erase it. Mm-hmm. So there's you know, maybe the beginnings of a conspiracy here, but um, was Akhenaten, the pharaoh of Egypt, (gasps) an alien hybrid? I'm convinced. Yes. (laughs) Well, the answer might not surprise you. (laughs) Oh, okay. Never mind. (laughs) Um, But this has given me a wonderful excuse because the story of Akhenaten is probably one of the most interesting stories in Egyptian history and it doesn't get like a lot of FaceTime for a civilization that everyone's familiar with. Yeah, spin this this little yarn for me. Tell me about Akhenaten. Sure, yeah. So 
Akhenaten is a huge figure, uh, very important, probably most well known in our culture for being King Tut's father. Mm, yeah, for sure. But he had humble beginnings. His original name was Amenhotep IV. And as far as we can tell, his early life was pretty normal as far as pharaohs go, reigning from the brief years uh, or the um, the kind years of circa 1353 to 1336 or 1351 to 1334 BC, which uh, for those who want to catch up, that's um 3.3 thousand years ago. Yeah. Why is that? Why is there that, that discrepancy there? It's just about trying to figure it like just guessing information from 3.3 thousand years ago is sketchy at best. Sure, 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 sure. Especially as, as you've said from someone who's the, where their history was almost entirely erased. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just like an example, uh, this guy had been dead for over a thousand years when Jesus was born. So this is uh, quite real old. ancient history. Quite yeah. old. Yeah. But yeah, he seemed to follow typical pharaonic traditions, but then during his early years, it looked like something was changing in his sort of religious worldview. Mm-hmm. Uh, he did continue to worship all of the gods, but he did start to build uh, places of worship to a god called the Aten. So mm. he constructed temples, even uh, shrines in cities across the country, and then also made a huge temple complex dedicated to this god Aten at Karnak in the city of Thebes. So this is um, kind of close to temples to the god Amun, who is the one of the more premier deities in the Egyptian pantheon. Yeah, Thebes, obviously known as the Big Olive in uh, Hercules, the, uh, Disney the movie. 1998 film. Yep, yep, yep. We all know this. So there's this this sign that he is increasing worship of a specific god named Aten. Yeah, who's depicted as a sort of sun god, uh, a god. Uh, okay, almost depicted as like a disc. But the big thing is that he did a speech. Uh, at the beginning of his second regnal year, where speaking to the royal court, to the scribes or to people, he said that the other gods, gods that had been at this point worshipped for over a thousand years, were mm-hmm. ineffective and that their temples had collapsed and that the only remaining god was Aten, the sun disk, and that he would continue to exist and exist forever. So this you know sounds like kind of just typical religious talk, but keep in mind, this is a thousands year old yeah. faith. The pharaoh being not just a uh, royal leader, but actually the God's avatar on earth. So like a living deity. And then for this like voice of the gods and ruler of this kingdom that has existed for like, he's part of the 19th dynasty, not 19th king, but 19th dynasty. Yeah. Uh, then yeah. going and saying all of the other, all the gods are dead except for the sun God. Praise the sun. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Praise the sun. There it is. Yeah. That, that definitely sounds like it would shake a whole lot of stuff up for sure. Mm-hmm. So he started to grow his sun worship. Uh, there, this is this is something that had been building. Like it's not without context. Uh, Egypt had mm-hmm. had a sun god or several types of sun gods, and sun worship was becoming more of a thing in this time. And even uh, in this period, which is called the New Kingdom, ironically, um, the Pharaoh did also start to become associated with the sun disk. And we do have a religious hymn that is dedicated to the sun that seems to have been popular at this time. So it could be that he was tapping into a popular movement of his period. Can you go ahead and hum me a few bars of that? Actually, we can't because all Egyptian music doesn't have its actual music left. So we can only really guess as to what Egyptian sounded like and what these things actually like what these actual musical bars 
bars were like. Oh, musical mysteries. That's interesting in and of itself. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot, there's this period where the sun symbol starts showing up in all sorts of iconography. Mm-hmm. And even in the beginning, there was this period where Aten was like the premier god, but not exclusive. And you see the iconography being associated with other gods, like on uh, Ra Harakti, uh, the falcon-headed sun god. So this sort of like implementing the Aten over over top of the old sun god. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And you see the elevation of the Aten above the other gods. It appears in cartouches around his inscribed name. Cartouche being a, you probably would recognize a cartouche. It's sort of a way to write down a name to say that it has some sort of royal influence. So putting the name of Aten within a cartouche would implement that he is some sort of ruler of the of the gods. Gotcha. That if anyone is like me and is not familiar with that word cartouche, cartouches is spelled exactly like car touches. And that makes me very that makes me smile for some reason. And then finally, we see this depiction of the Aten as a sun disk with sun rays that come out and end with human hands. And this new epithet starts showing up, which is uh, the great living disc, which is in Jubilee, Lord of Heaven and Earth. All mm. hail the disc. So all hail the disc. Going to uh, uh, going from like a brief like of becoming more and more prominent to the point where it takes over as the the only god. All hail the disc, by the way, was also the motto of my ultimate Frisbee team in college. So sweet. I can relate to this. <laughs> So yeah, in the fifth year of his reign, Amenhotep IV took some steps to make the Aten not only the chief god, but the only god. He Mm. disbanded the priesthood of the other gods and diverted all of the income to the cults of the Aten. Now, this is not like cult is in the term that we use it today, uh, but in a lot of polytheistic uh, areas and faiths, a cult Mm. was usually a reference to a religious group that uh, solely focused their worship on one of the gods. So like in ancient Greece, there might have been Dionysus cults or uh, Hades cults or things like that. So this this was the Aten cult was then get it. Yeah. They they, they retracted money from all of the priesthoods and then just gave it all to the Aten cults. Oh, wow. So but but you the the cult in this term is not like the modern version where we might think like, ooh, that's a little like, you know, like manipulating people and kind of dangerous kind of scary this is just like it's just it's a totally different thing yeah it's just like uh out of all the gods we decide to be a little club that focuses on worshiping this one specifically yeah okay and the king also officially changed his name from amenhotep the fourth to the name we know him now as akhenaten so i get the aten part of that where did the aken come from oh that's a really good question okay his name means beneficial to aten oh okay easy enough yeah he's there you go. Beneficial to Aten. Yeah. And so, as I said, with the cartouches, they started to depict the Aten as a king in and of himself. And with Aten as a sole deity, Akhenaten started to proclaim himself as the only intermediary between the Aten and his people. Mm. I.e., I am the personal speaker to the Aten and everyone must worship the Aten by worshiping me. Oh, I see. Worship Aten by proxy of me. So maybe there is a little bit of a cult thing going on here. Maybe there is actually. Now that we say the all of these words out loud <laughs> by year nine though akhenaten uh declared that aten was not only the supreme god but the only worshipful god and he went and ordered the defacing of all the temples to a moon there uh around egypt and a moon is 
You don't mean, sorry, that's A-M-U-N. Not like, you know, a moon, a, you know, like the moon in the sky. No, Amun is sort of the Egyptian version of the god of the sky. And okay. eventually uh, in their iconography, he became fused with Ra, which is the kind of older Egyptian god of the sun. So you often yes. will hear the term Amun-Ra. Amun-Ra, yeah, I've heard of that. And of course I know of Ra because of Yu-Gi-Oh. <laughs> sure. I think that was a little bit bit after my time. I think it was a bit too old oh, okay. for it when it came out. <laughs> so the Aten became the universal deity, the creator of all life, who every morning at sunrise brings life to the world. And then when he disappears and the night comes, the world becomes full of darkness and terror. Oh, yeah, that's scary. Yeah. So it not only became the, the god of the sun, but all things, the world, life, whatever you need. Without the sun, would there be life? I don't know. No, not at all. But uh, this is interesting because we are, this is a long time ago and monotheism is not a very common religious practice. Yeah. So much so that this doesn't bear out. So don't actually, like this doesn't turn out to be true, but there are some people who think that this experiment in monotheism might have been the spark that might have pushed like the ancient Hebrews to think about doing monotheism and that like this might have been the first like stab of monotheism but this is just speculation. It doesn't bear out uh, in the evidence so far. Okay. But yeah, he not only, not only, this is like super duper petty, but not only <laughs> did he deface all of the Amun temples, but in a lot of places, he also had um, any place where the inscription said gods, had it scratched out so that it said God. <laughs> like just going in with a little permanent marker and just like a, like a teacher reading over your essay, just like, that one's wrong. Just the one, actually. You're, you're, just the one guy. You're less wrong than you'd think. Like, they will literally just go yeah. to the places where it's painted and, like, scratch it out. That's incredible. <laughs> Is that still around? Like, that's still a thing that you can see that's around? I think in some way, sometimes they've been painted over. We'll get to it, because after Akhenaten dies, a lot of this stuff gets changed. Okay, cool, cool, cool. So there's some debate, though, about how extensive and uh, overwhelming this program was. So for a long time, especially when I was a kid, it was commonly believed that Akhenaten did a complete religious conversion of the whole country and forced everybody, destroyed everything, and it was very, like, you know, uh, very abrupt and harsh. Yeah, my way of the highway, Buster. But also... It seems that there was there was a, a lot of erasure of God's name, especially to Amun. And, and also some of his court and many who relied on Akhenaten's patronage did change their names so that it would be a reference to Aten instead of some of the other gods. Mm, okay. But there is some reference that at least there was tolerance for belief in other religions. For example, there was at least one courtier who went by the name of Ahmos, which means child of the moon god. Now this you do mean the moon. Mm -hmm. <laughs> gotcha. Keep keeping track at home. Yeah. And also one of the most famous pieces of art, the uh, the workshop where a really famous piece of art from this period, uh, bust of Nefertiti and other kind of works of portraiture were found to be associated with an artist who was known as Tutmos, which translates to child of Toth. And Toth is Toth. the Egyptian god of like artisans and creators. So okay. that person's name is also a reference to uh, one of the Egyptian gods. Makes sense that the that the artist would have that name. Mm -hmm. A lot of things also show a lot of the magic, like magical implements, things like uh, amulets and talismans show references to gods like Bess and uh, 
Taurets. So those are like gods of the home and of childbirth. So you would make these in order to like bless a child so that, you know, to try and make them safely get born. Um, then, you know, there'd be symbols of the Eye of Horus, a very common uh, icon in religious iconography in Egypt. And those were still showing up. And so like a lot of this stuff was just showing up in like a lot of their magical practices or in their like, Mm -hmm. you know, sort of mystical medicine and things like that. Yeah. And even in the royal family, uh, there was a discovery of a bunch of jewelry that belonged to the, the family. And they found at least one ring that does make a reference to uh, Moot, who is the wife of Amun. Which is, again, not the Moot. Yes. Um, I'm making this more complicated than it actually is. Don't worry. Um, Egyptian polytheistic religious practices are also extraordinarily complicated. (laughs) So it does seem that while Akhenaten did move funding away from the other priests, he did have a lot of tolerance for at least worship or belief in the other gods. Yeah, that's what it sounds like. If you have all these other names popping up that are references to other gods, it implies that at least Akhenaten was like kind of chill with it. Yes. Or it's that he got more hardcore towards the end of his life and that for a lot of the time, while he only had the worship of Aten as like the official state religion, that at least he was tolerant until some stuff near the end of his life where a lot of these, uh, like the scrubbing out of names and stuff might have happened. Mm, okay. Okay. Got a little more petty as time went on. Yeah. And also the, like there was power, like to suck up to the new God that the Pharaoh wants everybody to had a lot of, you know, personal prestige. And if you're in court and stuff like that, you know, worshiping the Pharaoh's new God could obviously get you up in the world. So you did see many people without having to, uh, you know, be forced to did voluntarily change their, um, their, their, their iconography. There's a lot of signs that they chiseled out references to Amun on personal items that they owned. And things like scarabs and makeup pots had their names changing. We don't know whether they did this voluntarily or because they were afraid of uh, secretly worshipping Amun still. Gotcha, gotcha. So you can imagine that trying to change a ancient order based on a extremely regular cycle of, of flooding and this religious order that has powerful priest castes and the symbol of the pharaoh as the living embodiment of the gods... Upending all of that in one 17-year period is going Mm -hmm. to cause a lot of political chaos. He even started his own city as sort of the center of his work. And it was a city by the name of Akhetaten, just to make things even more complicated. (laughs) Sure, sure. Um... Not to keep throwing this back there, but I, that is also a thing that that more modern day cults have also done. Starting their own cities? <laughs> yeah. Fair enough. So after 17 years of ruling, Akhenaten eventually died and he was mummified, just like all pharaohs, and buried in a tomb east of Akhetaten. His, there was a period of a few short reigns of different members of the family, but eventually the next person who would come to really rule was his son, to Tutankhaten, who uh, in the second year of his reign started to essentially reverse this entire program. (laughs) Hey guys, my dad took this maybe a little bit too far. Uh, I'm real sorry about him. Maybe we can just kind of, well, let's, let's rein it back a little bit. Precisely. So Tutankhaten changed his name to Tutankhamun, who we probably all collectively know as King Tut. And again, I'm going to imagine the Amun part is a reference to 
that god yep. who is not the god of the moon but the god of the but, sky yeah and after akhenaten's death there was a massive backlash against these religious reforms uh akhenaten's sarcophagus was destroyed wow uh, and it was just left there it wasn't removed or anything like that it was just smashed uh yeah. the city take of, that dad yeah yeah i mean he also he didn't reign long he died at 19 so i don't think he was around that long either but uh oh, that teen angst Akhetaten, it was essentially the city was essentially abandoned. Mm-hmm. Uh, although some really brave Egyptologists have actually reconstructed his sarcophagus. And you can now see a reconstruction in the Egyptian Museum in Cairo. His Interesting. Yeah, his mummy cool. was removed uh, after Akhetaten was the city. This is going to get, okay. Akhetaten's the city. Akhenaten's the guy. Um, yes. So let's just get, so once Akhetaten was abandoned, Tutankhamun. The city was abandoned. Yeah, Tutankhamun yes. had Akhenaten's mummy removed uh-huh. and sent to the uh, return to Thebes. Big olive. And then eventually, mm-hmm. we think it was buried in uh, KV 55, which is a tomb in the Valley of the Kings. Now, I think we've talked about the Valley of the Kings before, but essentially in the very, very old, old, old times, the Egyptians had their pharaohs buried in big, elaborate tombs like pyramids and things yeah. like that. But then later on, when the issue of grave robbing started to become a real problem, they started burying them in this place called the Valley of the Kings, where they would be sealed away and actually like, you know, buried and forgotten about. And those places that we've been, there's just been ongoing uh, archaeological work going on in the Valley of the Kings for um, over 100 years at this point. Mm -hmm. And we've dug up all sorts of things, including King Tut's tomb. The reason why King Tut is such a huge uh, discovery is because he was one of the few pharaohs found where his tomb had not been raided or robbed so yeah. when it was opened up all of his treasure was still there yeah we've talked about it where he wasn't that super remarkable in terms of what he accomplished but it was just the reason that name is so popular and people know it is simply just because it wasn't robbed and that's really about it but you can also say uh, Tutankhamun doing this sort of like counter-reformation thing here is also, it's it's, it's kind of a big deal. I, I think so. I just don't know how big his role in it was because he he died he died as a teenager. So yeah. we'll see where that goes. But um, there is a mummy in KV-55 that is male and mm-hmm. there, and this mummy has been examined many times that they okay. think is Akhenaten's mummy, but they're not okay. like 100%. Uh, the most recent thing that we found, or the most recent study I found, was a 2010 study done by an Egyptologist by the name of Zahi Hawass, who uh, confirmed theoretically that this mummy would be the father of Tutankhamun, which means that he was most. Li- this was most likely Akhenaten. Okay. But then other people were like, "Well, things get complicated because." Uh, how do I say this diplomatically? Um, the pharaohs had a very interesting tradition of. Um, Keeping it in the family, if you will. Oh, no. So the thing about Akhenaten being Tutankhamun's father is that he was also kind of his uncle. Um, oh, no. <laughs> Tristan, that's not at all where I thought you were going to go. I thought you were going to say like, oh, you know, people just slipped around. So it's possible that that it could have been Tutankhamun's father, but wasn't necessarily the no. uh, uh Tutankhamun. no no just it's just more that the um genetic lineage through dna specifically is a lot more murky because 
Um, there's a reason why King Tut tried to have several kids, but none of them ever lived. Uh, they were all stillborn. And then he died at 19 of severe illness. I was going to ask the whole dying of 19 thing kind of makes a little bit more sense now. Yeah. You, you look at his, uh, his, his body. He's a, he was a very, very sick man. Um, that's, that's, that's upsetting on a lot of levels. Yeah. Um, the genes are a little bit of a mess, but there's like a reasonably good chance that this is the mummy of Akhenaten. Okay. Now, if they did all this genetic testing, did they find any alien DNA in there? Well, that's the thing. I don't think they did. <laughs> oh, dang. Oh, well, that puts that to yeah. bed. <laughs> and the other thing, too, is that there was not only like not only was uh, in the people in power scrubbed, uh, like try to, you know, put everything back. But Akhenaten's tomb was desecrated at one point um, <laughs> and the cult fell out of favor almost overnight. Uh, his successors went to long efforts to erase Akhenaten and his family from the historic record. So there's like lots oh of efforts gosh. of like, you know, of them literally like scratching the names of Akhenaten from like um, iconography of him around the country. Uh, one pharaoh, uh, the last pharaoh of the 18th dynasty by the name of Horemheb, who was the first the first pharaoh after Akhenaten, who was not related to Akhenaten's family, started to uh-huh. actually destroy temples to the Aten and use the rocks that were that made those temples to build new projects, including new temples to Amun. <laughs> a little recycling, a little upcycling. I like it. Mm-hmm. But again, and that would be a different Amun. I'm going to stop doing that joke. That's getting old now. Praise the Amun. Praise Amun. So in Pharaoh Seti I actually restored monuments to Amun and had the god's name recarved on a lot of inscriptions where it was removed by Akhenaten. Uh, just like re- rewriting, rewriting a little bit of, of that history in, 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 in like in a literal sense of just like, and this used to be here and we're going to put it right back. Mm-hmm. On top of that, Seti I also ordered that Akhenaten and Tutankhamun and a whole bunch of other people associated with the pharaohs of this period would actually be erased from lists of pharaohs throughout Egyptian history. Oh gosh. Uh, and so just like just like the, there was like an extreme effort to just try to pretend that this whole thing never happened. Yeah. Guys, the, this is a mulligan. We can all agree on that one, right? This is this uh, this one's on us. Yeah, and then under Seti the first successor, uh, Remicides, they not only abandoned the city, but then they went back to Akhetaten and started removing the building material to rebuild in other constructions across the place. Uh, specifically, a lot of constructions in a city called uh, Hermopolis. I'm loving this upcycling. It's 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 very inspiring. Like there's a lot in the past of like just destroying history to build new things. Like a lot of old Roman stuff got torn down in the Middle Ages so that they could build things with it. It's just mm-hmm. it's just a, it's just a, it's it's a thing we. Yeah, we didn't I mean, respect I'm, history until like, you know, maybe 70 years ago. That's the thing, right? I'm conflicted about it because on one hand, like, boy, I wish I wish that, you know, for, for historical purposes, it would be nice to like study the original things where they were. But like as as like a, a narrative thing, as like someone who loves a good juicy story, the idea of tearing it down and rebuilding something different or better somewhere else as like a F you to the other thing that the materials came from is like real juicy. And I do. I do like it. 
Yeah, so like this feels like it's, it's very bloodless because we're talking about this, but this is like you can imagine that like tearing down the temples to the main god, building temples to a new god, and then a generation later tearing down those temples to the new god. But like that's all associated with a whole lot of political upset yeah, and a whole lot of like absolutely. religious uh, turmoil and such like that. For a society that is known for being remarkably stable, like yes. Egypt, if there's one thing about why Egypt persisted for so long is just that heavily defensible, extremely stable climate and and everything about their society was just like this endless, like multi-millennium long system that did not break from time, like did not break from a time when mammoths still existed all the way up until Cleopatra the Ninth, uh, when yeah. Egypt fell to the Roman Empire. So like a to amount of time that Cleopatra the Ninth, the last uh, pharaoh of Egypt, mm-hmm. lived closer to our period right now than to the beginning of the Egyptian uh, kingdoms. That's it's so wild to think about. Yeah, I love when I love when we talk about Egypt. It's really interesting. It's like yeah, it's it's just absolutely mind blowing how old everything is when you talk about mm-hmm. Egypt. Uh, so the last reference we also have to Akhenaten in this sort of post-Reformation period is there's one scribe who refers to the period of Akhenaten's reign as the time of the enemy Akhetaten. Hmm. So the only reference Goodness. to him in the history, uh, the official history, is as an enemy. The enemy. Ruthless. Mm-hmm. Absolutely ruthless. So the period of this religious uprising is typically known as the Amarna period. Okay. And what we see here, though, is that Akhenaten's big upset actually made a long-term shift in the power of the pharaoh within the religious life of Egypt. So if you think about it, for the long time, for a long time, the pharaoh was God on earth, was a like literally voice of the God on God on earth or the gods on earth. And when this whole religious uprising happened, or when this whole religious um, churning up happened, it led a lot of people to know longer see this title of pharaoh as like this actual god king title and so the relationship that like regular egyptians had with their gods and the pharaoh changed and the role of the pharaoh started to become smaller and that people in egypt started to see their their relationship with the gods as more direct Mm. so before the yeah before the amarna period the pharaoh is the literal son of ra and the living incarnation of the god horus and maintained divine divine order through rituals and offerings and stuff like that. But this led to a close relationship between people and the gods, uh, especially the patron deity of their respective towns and cities. What this also resulted in is the priesthood becoming a more powerful class of people. And instead of worship being through the pharaoh and them being like this representative, different uh, parts of the clergy would become more prominent. So because they had a period where the pharaoh rejected all of the important festivals and all the rites and rituals that they thought kept the world going, basically. Mm -hmm. So by, you know, a few centuries after Akhenaten's death, the relationship between the the people, the pharaoh, and the gods didn't revert. Uh, worship of all the gods returned, but the sure. relationship between the gods and the worshippers became direct and circumvented the pharaoh. Ah, we don't need that middleman. Yeah, and the Egyptians started to believe that the gods directly intervened in their lives. Sort of like, a, if, if I guess a good, a good example would be probably if you think about uh, the way that Protestants changed Christianity. That you know, in the past, in the Catholic only days, you you only prayed through intermediaries, saints, priests 
priests, those kinds of things. And then right. Protestants yeah. were like, no, we're going to do the personal, like Protestants are all big on the personal relationship with the divine, right? Yeah. I'm going to speak directly to your manager, please. Yeah. And the increase in the prestige of the priests of Amun uh, became so big that by the end of the 21st dynasty, there were priests who were effective rulers over parts of the country. Oh, wow. So like a, a great decentralizing of the authority and power within this uh, within this kingdom. Yeah, that's interesting. The other thing that's really interesting is that it also, and this, this is another like interesting parallel with the Protestant Reformation. Yeah, okay. Hit me with it. The Amarna period accelerated the change in language between what's called ancient Egyptian and what's later called late Egyptian. So like during the Amarna period, uh, religious texts and inscriptions uh, started to regularly include kind of vernacular linguistic elements, which means that they were like taking words and phrases that were from the spoken Egyptian of the time rather than this like religious priestly uh, language that they that they typically did religious things in. Okay. And over time in pharaohs following Akhenaten, this became more of a regular thing. So while the successors tried to erase his, you know, his art, his religion, uh, and even some changes to language, uh, some of these elements did continue throughout uh, the periods later. And that means that uh, effectively you can see a change in the grammar of the Egyptian language. Oh, that's fascinating. Yeah. So then we can get to why in all of this, we can then start to get into why these statues of Akhenaten look so weird compared to other yeah. Egyptian yeah. things that, that, that makes them think that aliens. That's that's my biggest question. So, I mean, you were just talking about how even just like the, the grammar of everything changed. There were obviously lots of uh, the, the sort of power was changing. All this seems like it might impact a lot of things, including potentially art. Yes. So Akhenaten actually might have spent some time working with crafters and artisans uh, in his youth, which might have inspired a big focus on changing the art style of um, Egyptian royal portraiture. Okay. So in the times before Akhenaten, depictions of the pharaoh would be very highly stylized and actually very similar so sometimes if, say, they needed to change the name of a pharaoh on a statue, say if one died and they had to replace it with another one, sometimes they would actually just slightly change the face and then change the name and just go with it because every pharaoh is kind of just made to look the same. I mean, they had a lot of similar DNA as, as well as mm-hmm. what we were saying. Is, so I think all, that may have also helped. And that also includes the male and female pharaohs, I will add. Mm, that's really funny. Just like, hey, can I can I copy your own work? Yeah, but don't make it too obvious. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of like, uh, there's some interesting ones of times when Egypt was ruled by a queen where the statues are like very obviously of a man's body, but they just put a woman's head on it. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, one will, no one will ask any questions. It's fine. Mm-hmm. We have a, we, we wrote the name under it if anyone has any questions. Yeah, but Akhenaten's statues don't look like this. They're a severe deviation. And he almost has, as we said, this like feminine body with wide hips and even breasts and having this drooping belly, long spindly arms and this protruding chin. And there's been a lot of times that people think that this might be a move away from this heavy stylization to a more realistic look. And they're like, but this is maybe what Akhenaten really looked like. And so if that's true, then Akhenaten was a very strange looking dude. (laughs) Yes, very, very, very much so. (laughs) 
So some of the main theories is that he might have had something called Marfan syndrome, which is a disease that uh, affects uh, a lot of physical traits in men. It's a genetic disease that affects their connective tissue. And people with Marfan syndrome tend to be really tall and thin with really long arms, legs, and toes. Sure. And depending upon like Marfan syndrome, you know, people have it today. It can be very mild to very severe. Um, You can even have, uh, you can even die from it if it affects your heart in a certain way. Mm. But um, the other idea, and this is one that's coming more into vogue these days. Most Egyptologists think that it's probably not that he had Marfan syndrome, but that this is not a realistic depiction of him. And this is a different type of stylization. Gotcha. So originally the depictions of pharaohs were stylized. And then one idea was, well, maybe this is realistic. But this idea is saying, well, actually, it's just a different way. It's like two different comic book art. <laughs> where they'll have different styles, but neither one is quite as realistic. There you go. I brought comic books into nice. it, everybody. Good stuff. Yay. Yeah. So like the idea is that maybe this wasn't a realistic depiction of Akhenaten, but instead it was yeah. more of a way to interpret who he was through the lens of this new monotheistic religion. So they made him look more androgynous in order to uh, reflect the fact that the Aten was an androgynous god and, mm. and, and sort of reflects that. And the way the reason they believe this is because one thing that the pharaoh did uh, that a lot of other pharaohs before him did not do is show a lot of sculpture or make a lot of sculpture of his wife and his family. And mm-hmm. so they did a very similar thing to his family members. Women in ancient Egyptian art, just like the men being hyper-masculine, were all depicted as youthful and slim. But he has statues of women in his family who have wrinkled faces and, uh, you know, the attributes of women who have given birth to multiple children. Interesting. Queens and children typically had a subordinate role in Egyptian art and did not f- f- feature very frequently. Uh, but that was not like that was not like Akhenaten. Uh, his wife, Nefertiti, and their children showed up often in art that was associated with Akhenaten. And their size relative to him was um, was pretty equal, like the, usually based on how tall they were and things like that. And so it's interesting that his family played a larger role. And so it's like this, it's thinking that, yeah, he had a much more uh, egalitarian look, or I, I guess that that's that's kind of imposing modern uh, values on it. But he had a uh-huh. larger role for family and women and femininity within however his religious outview looked. Get the whole family in here. Precisely. Yeah. Show them all off. So this is likely what happened. It was a big change in the artistic movements. Uh, as again, it was possible that Akhenaten spent a lot of time working with um, priests of Ta, the god of craftsmen, and probably had a lot of opinions about art. And so that's why the art changed a whole lot. And after Akhenaten died, there was a big backlash against his religious movement and that reflected in the language and in the art. And so there was an active rejection of this new approach to uh, creating like sculptures of his family and or even paintings of his family. And So there's a lot of questions. This happened 3,000 years ago. There's a lot of really interesting stuff going on, but none of the things I mentioned today are big gaping mysteries that only an alien could fit into. Well, and that's that's like that's the thing, right? We're we're talking a lot about this this history, but you haven't even gotten to the main question, Tristan. Where do the aliens fit in? Okay, you've been talking a lot about this history. 
I've been learning a lot. It's been really fascinating. But we're here to talk about aliens, and you haven't even mentioned aliens barely at all. And the show I watched earlier today said that Akhenaten was absolutely, definitely an alien. So refute that, sir. Well, what, I, what I'm putting out here is that a lot of the points that are brought up to explain why Akhenaten was an alien or an alien hybrid can be very easily explained through other things in the context, like how, okay. why did this person show up and all of a sudden change the religion? Well, you can see that there was a growing sun worship uh, e even before Akhenaten's reign and that he just probably capitalized on that. Why is the art depicting him so weird? Well, he obviously was very artistically inclined and there was a major change in religious viewpoint which led to a lot of artistic changes. Why was every reference to him scrubbed from the face of the earth? Well, Akhenaten obviously became a very uh, big liability for the authority of the pharaohs. And so they actively worked to erase him from history because it's seen as this dark period of their past. And all of a sudden, you have explanations for a lot of the broad strokes as to why this period of Egyptian history is so weird that doesn't require making the leap of faith that aliens uh, somehow traveled multiple light years in order to screw around with one country in Africa. That's fair. And, and maybe just to ask one final question. Now, we have a potential, a possible mummy for Akhenaten, whose, whose DNA that you said people looked at pretty human but could be something you never know again because the dna is all wonky it's just a possible but we do definitely have uh toot in common right yes his son and his son what? seems to be very human from all Dang the dna it, that was my last ah oh, that was my last hurrah i was i was all right that's fine all right i'll accept that and the other thing to add on to this and i'm i, I feel like i'm just gonna have to need to bring this up every time but whenever they talk about human alien hybrids, um, it just blows my mind because like there's not there is no aspect of ancient aliens that seems less scientific than this part. Humans yeah. like I'm you know, I'm no astrobiologist, but we can't even interbreed with our closest relatives on Earth. Like we can't thank God we can't interbreed with like chimpanzees <laughs> and bonobos. Thank you for throwing thank God into that. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> if we if we can't even have children with like our closest relatives that are only a few million years of evolution separated from us, mm -hmm. why would somebody think that it would be even in the realm of possibility that a species that has uh, evolved in a completely different astrobiology, people are suspecting there's going to be all sorts of stuff. People get to suspect that there might be creatures where like uh, arsenic is part of their biological chemistry uh, or or whatever, like whatever uh, chem biological chemistry evolves on those planets. Like it's never, it's not going to be anything close to mm -mm. Uh, even what we would define as life on earth. Like even categories like animal and plant are going to be not uh, compatible. And we're going to have to, like when we discover alien life, we're going to have to completely change the way that we think about and categorize life as a concept, let alone being able to think that we will have a species similar enough that you could just mash two things of DNA if they even have DNA together and wind up with, Mm. a thing that would that could possibly exist and for me like I, there's a lot of stretches of the imagination and you know 
really, really trying to reach with the credibility of the science in a lot of these claims. But this hybrid thing really takes the cake in my mind. It has got to be one of the least scientific ways to look at it and feels very, um, feels almost like fantasy. Like this isn't Star yeah. Trek. You said a lot of really important things. You made a lot of good points. But the thing I'm willing to take away from that last big speech of yours is that you said, when we discover alien life, <laughs> it's out there, folks. It's out there. Oh, yeah. And I, I'm still yeah. open to that. Um, Absolutely. The other thing, too, is that they bring this up in the context of Egypt because basically because of years and years of grave robbing by Europeans. Uh, we have this very uh, mystical view of ancient Egypt. We th It's very romanticized and we think of it as this very like mystical type place when it was a society that functioned day to day like any other. It had politics. It had religious strife. It was a society of people who lived, had children, died, farmed things. And when we uh, like these kinds of stories kind of show that underneath all of the pyramids and gold and mummies that there's actually there was humanity in this yeah impossibly long empire <laughs> i think this is one of those episodes of this podcast where hopefully we have shown by we i mostly mean you of course have shown that the actual real life history as we understand it today is in my opinion way more interesting than this idea of uh, of aliens like this is like political religious intrigue of this of this really interesting place uh with with fascinating almost like larger than life i don't want to say characters because they were very real but you know what i mean like this is this in itself the the story that you've sort of untangled here is uh really interesting and i don't think we need to throw aliens in the mix to make it more interesting i think i think it's as it stands right now, I mean, I'm hooked. I'm, I've been, I've been gripped this whole episode. And we haven't even gone into like you could do some more fun history. And you could talk about um, how there were probably black pharaohs, uh, where they were ruled by dynasties that came from modern day Sudan, and all sorts of fun stuff. So yeah, uh, it gets uh, Egyptian history is has got a lot going on. Um, Absolutely, really fascinating stuff. And I'm sure we will be returning to it again and again because, like moths to a flame, ancient astronaut theorists love looking at stuff in Egypt and they sure do pointing at things that are weird and saying that's got to be an alien right they love those big triangle buildings so much they love those buildings but we'll have to come back to that another day because we have we have I think I've Egypted us, uh, us out for <laughs> one uh for one sesh I also think that thank you so much for, for enlightening. Uh, this has been so much fun. And uh, folks, if you like listening to this, guess what? There are new episodes every single week of this podcast. Please, uh, like, like, I was going to say like and subscribe. <laughs> like and subscribe. Oh my <laughs> God. We're, Tristan, we're, we're so bad at this. <laughs> uh, please follow us on Twitter at It's Probs Not Aliens. That's where you can get more updates about this show. Uh, if you want to follow us, each of us individually, uh, you can follow me at my YouTube channel, NerdSync, N-E-R-D-S-Y-N-C. That's where I make videos about comics and other nerdy things, and it's a good stuff. And uh, Tristan also has a YouTube channel. I do, theoretically. It's Step Back, where I make stuff about the past and why it's important to remember things. The, not dissimilar from the 
this podcast. And of course, you can always give us those great reviews, those five-star reviews, specifically five-star reviews. I don't know what past me might have told you, but we're definitely looking for five-star reviews for this podcast uh, in the future, because as of this moment, this is the last episode we're recording before we go live, before we finally launch the epi- the, the podcast. Um, in the future, I'd love to read read all of your reviews on air. I think that would be a lot of fun. So please send them in. Uh, we really appreciate it. And tell your friends, you know, what better way to, to learn about new podcasts than from the mouth of someone you care about. Yeah. And until next time, everybody. The truth is out there. Probably. Probably.